Okay, Alexander, we are 100% live. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Uh, world is becoming more and more interesting. But uh, so why shouldn't uh, why shouldn't I be well? Because of course, interesting news is what keeps us going. But um, I am very well, and uh, uh, so is my family and everyone. Great to hear. How is everyone doing today on this Friday, September the 29th? Let's talk about some news. So, Alexander, I'm going to say hello to everybody that is watching us on Rockfin, on Odyssey, on Rumble, on Locals, on YouTube, Telegram, Twitter X, and... What else? There's so many platforms now, I, I sometimes forget them. <laughs> anyway, um, let me say a hello to everyone on the chat. So I'm just going to type in a quick hello to everybody, make sure the stream is okay, while you tell us what is the one, one big story that everyone needs to keep an eye out for today, this weekend, what's going on? Well, I'm going to make a guess, actually, that the big story, actually, at the moment is what's going on in the bond markets, about which I am not an expert at all. But um, it does look as if things are getting very, very difficult there. There's been an article by Ambrose Evans Pritchard, not a person I particularly place a huge amount of reliance on, but he's following the pack on all of this. And he's saying that the situation is now uh, becoming actually extremely bad, yields on uh, um, treasuries are rising, yields are yields in Europe are rising, and that there is, you know, essentially a big financial crisis now starting to creep up in the bond markets, especially as inflation is returning and interest rates are going to remain high for a longer time than the markets imagined. So I think this is the, you know, this is the big story at the moment. Of course, the other second big story, and we mustn't overlook this is the failure of Ukraine's offensive. And this is a major strategic defeat for the neocons, for the group that runs things in Washington. But I'm going to suggest, actually, that we are starting to get close now to a sort of end of empire moment. And this is this is something I really wanted to say because you know I mean I, as everybody knows I read an awful lot of history I'm always interested in history. You look at the moment when dynasties fall, you know the sort of Ming Empire in China, the Roman Empire in the West. You start to see some of the same signs: the underlying economic situation, the the, the structural problems in the economy are starting to grow. There are pressures on the borders of the empire, you know, the, the, the enemy is sort of closing in. There's a sense, a growing sense amongst the people of the empire that they're starting to become increasingly disconnected with the system. It really isn't working for them. And what do the leaders in that kind of situation actually do? Do they set, sit down and start working to address these problems, which each of which in and of themselves could be contained. No, they don't. They retreat into intrigues, um, into Nissan feuding, all kinds of battles. We've saw, we talked about the, league, the lawfare against Donald Trump in yesterday's program. You could argue that all of the various things that are happening in Washington, 
the imperial center, which I suspect are now absorbing most of the energies of the elite there, are really unrelated, unconnected to the underlying problems that are now growing and are starting to get out of control. And, you know, if you'd been to sort of Beijing in 1620, you know, before the empire, the Ming Empire collapsed, or you were in Rome around, you know, 400 AD, you'd have found something rather similar going on. Elon Musk from Forbes. Elon Musk compares modern civilization to late stage empire. Yeah. That yeah. came out four hours ago. Well, there you go. Two great minds think alike. I did. I, I should say I hadn't thought that because I, I, hadn't, I hadn't read that before I said what I well, did. He, he tweeted. Let me get you his tweet. Uh, yeah. Anyone feeling late stage empire vibes? And it's actually a, oh, it's a tweet, a meme. Yeah. Anyone getting late stage empire vibes? That's what he tweeted out mm. a couple of hours ago. Yeah. Well, there you go. Interesting. All right. So, uh, yeah. Empire Vibes, everybody. Alan Watson is helping us moderate today. How are you doing, Alan? Good to have you with us. And Alexander, let's um, let's take some questions, and we'll get the conversation going. From Radio Constantinopolis, when is that perfect storm moment that Eurasian bloc is waiting for when they will combine on? All fronts, economic, geopolitical assault with the compromised Western predicament. You know, I think we might not be that far from it, going back to what I was saying. I mean, if I just return to that Ambrose Evans Pritchard's article. Now, bear in mind, Ambrose, he's, he's sometimes a good economics writer, but fundamentally and primarily, he is a neocon. He is a neocon economist for hire. He often writes hit pieces on particular countries. China, Russia, he does this quite regularly, which um, are basically intended to undermine confidence in their economy. But, you know, he says that one of the reasons for the problems in the bond markets are because um, deficits in the West are now running out of control. Debt is accumulating out of control. But then he said something really interesting, that the global South holds something like three quarters of, you know, reserves, other reserves. And they are very, very angry about the weaponization by the West of the financial system. Now, he's never said that to my knowledge before. It's buried in his article, but there it is. So you could see that all of these things are connected with each other. The problems of the bond markets, the fact that the situation in the, you know, on the front lines in Ukraine has deteriorated. Notice, I'm sure you all know about this article in the New York Times with its map, which shows that there's been virtually no movement on the front lines. In fact, in August, the Russians captured more territory than Ukraine did in August. Um, and of course, let me repeat again, that is a massive strategic defeat because it has been Ukraine that has been on the offensive since June. So they have to try and find some way of finessing that. So they're talking about a stalemate. But it is actually a defeat. 
So they got that. They got all of these problems coming. So the problem in Ukraine, problems with on the bond markets. Even Ambrose could see that. And of course, this new extraordinary argument with India, a country they ought to have been working really hard to try to win over and have been working really hard to win over. But now they're coming after them. They're coming after them with the diamond sanctions. They're coming after them over this assassination in uh, Vancouver. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know how many of you have read this extraordinary article by Badra Kuma. I was waiting for him to write about this, in which he really says, you know, this is the moment when the scales should fall from people's eyes in Delhi. There is no working with the United States. I mean, you can sum it up, I think, in that in that way, that the US is coming after you. Either are you there, are you, are you with them or they consider you to be against them, in which case they try to destabilize and overthrow you. Yep. Let's see here from locals. Jason Becken says, the way I put it is we're in fact in a manner similar to previous historical patterns. Hmm. Referencing an empire moment. Oh, well, absolutely. I, mean, I, 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 think, I think we all agree. Elon Musk, myself and you. Yeah. <laughs> From New Guardian. What's your thoughts on the transgender English spokesperson for Ukraine, Sarah Ashton Cirillo's suspension pending investigation? Well, I mean, it wasn't well, this not well, another it, bizarre, another. Can PR I just answer. give you a, a question uh, on top of this one, Alexander, before you yeah, begin? What What is an American citizen doing as a spokesperson for the Ukraine military to begin with? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is completely correct. I mean, the whole thing was, again, an exercise in PR, which is, you know, you get an American you get a trans person, you get all of that. You, that way you consolidate support in the United States with certain people. You talk about the uh, other side being full of, you know, toxicity and uh, virility and all of those kind of things. And then we stand with you. Look, one of our spokesmen is of that, you know, like you and is actually of you. And of course, it was a PR disaster waiting to happen because this person spiraled out of control. Um, she, I suppose we must call her that, uh, uh, is now extremely angry as the Vovan and Lexus thing made it pretty obvious that she's very angry. And so she's, she's biting the hand of uh, the people who were helping her. I mean, it is not perhaps on the scale of a PR disaster as the one at the Canadian Parliament. That, that, that is off the scale. But it's still a PR disaster of another kind. I mean, now they're going to have to sack this person, and presumably. And, um, you know, those people that they are hoping to win over will presumably be annoyed. But serves them right. I mean, serves them right is all I can say, because it's exactly what Alex said. What is an American doing acting as a spokesman for the ukrainian military but it's all pr everything is theater where um, the zelensky government is concerned there's a big article in harper's by the way which actually makes that very point point alex has been making right from the start of this war that this 
is a group of people who basically come from, um, you know, uh, theatre, movies, that sort of thing. They and Harper's Harper's are now saying that it, it's a, it's a fascinating article to read. They're saying that they think about everything in those sort of terms. That, that's why Zelensky now is uh, is hired as an advisor. Uh, the the football player, the the Ukrainian football player. What's his name? Uh, Chat. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Um, Andre. Andre Svechet. Shevchenkov, I believe. Yeah, Shevchenko. But, Shevchenko. Oh, yeah, yes. A lot of people are are actually making fun of it because they're like, "What is a football player going to advise Zelensky on? Yeah, yeah, this makes yeah. zero sense." Zero sense. Yeah. In, in the middle of a conflict. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of a big counteroffensive mm. that you're losing, you hire a footballer. This doesn't make any sense at all. But, but it's worth reading. The article in Harper's is the tragedy of Zelensky. And it goes into it. I mean, it's actually, it takes him apart in polite words. But you can see that, you know, they're, they're now turning against him, even in the US. And they're talking about the fact sure. that he is, you know, he's basically a, 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 an actor. And everything that goes on is acting, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shevchenko, yeah. Good football player. Yeah. Very good football player. Yeah. But I wouldn't want him advising me in the middle of a conflict. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So um, let's see here. Ryan, welcome to the Drank Community. Sanjeva says, part one of two, London or Washington, Wishing to see Modi defeated and pro-American government installed are sadly mistaken. Indian opposition is Indian Congress Party and their likely coalition partner. Communists are staunchly anti-USA. The West alienated Indian Congress Party by going after this Canadian Sikh thing. It was mm-hmm. Congress Party who go, who go stormed Amritsar Temple and they very... And they're very sensitive to seek separatism. Absolutely. This, this is completely true. I remember it. I, I mean, I was I was at law school, I remember, when it all happened. And, you know, very, very shocked by it. And uh, um, th- there was a Sikh um, separatist leader called Bindranwala, by the way. I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on this conflict, but I remember it. But he, he and his group um, occupied the Golden Temple in Amritsar. Um, which is, you know, the most important shrine in Sikhism. And um, there was enormous amount of violence. And eventually the Indian prime minister at that time, Indira Gandhi, had to send the army in to uh, Amritsar, to the Golden Temple, or she decided to send the army in. And eventually they recaptured the Golden Temple. And over the course of the <coughs> fighting, Bindranwala himself was killed. But it meant that Hindu troops entered the Sikh holy place. And the retaliation came just a few days later when the um, um, Gandhi herself, Indira Gandhi, the prime minister, was assassinated by Sikh, uh, two Sikh members of her bodyguard. So, you know, now, the Indira Gandhi is, I think, the grandmother great-grandmother of the 
present head of the Congress party. I mean, it's led by the same people. So of course they remember all of this. They will remember all this very well. And besides the point about Congress, anybody who knows anything at all about Indian history, Congress is the party that led India to independence. It had initially opposed partition. It is going by definition to be very strongly opposed to separatism in any part of India at all. Uh, Sanjeeva is absolutely right of that. I have no question at all. The US has miscalculated again. And it's bizarre that they haven't understood this. From Elena Diaz. Okay that everybody has different opinions, but our tax money is financing NAZIs. Clearly people see now our EU politicians are committing treason. Well, can I just say, I think you're absolutely right. I'm going to say something else. I think that Alex made a point on a program we did, not, not you know, I think it was the one that we did with Yi Chun Ching, in which he said that this business in the Canadian Parliament has cut through. And it has. You can see that with the very, very nervous way that in Britain, it's been covered and I uh, covered up. And the same, I believe, is true in Germany. But in the United States itself, it's cut through. It's cut through in Canada also. People are shocked. And of course, it's hardened the mood in Washington against uh, providing more funding to um, Ukraine for exactly the reason that you said. Lover of the Russian team says, my two favorite guys always trusted. And mm -hmm. Stefan says, hit that like button. Guys, and Alexander, going off of Elena's question, I have to ask you this because I want mm -hmm. your, your your opinion on this. I'm, I'm going to probably talk about this article in my video today. I haven't done it yet. But mm -hmm. I saw on the BBC, mm -hmm. they put out an article covering for Trudeau and covering for this SS mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. Uh, the title of the BBC article let me pull it up real quick because I really want to ask you this question. Canada Nazi row puts a spotlight on Ukraine's World War II past. Yeah. Now, I've got a kind of a two-part question, I guess. Yeah. In the, B the BBC, in this article, towards the bottom of this article, they basically say that this um, SS uh, veteran, that uh, there is no evidence linking the veteran to war crimes. That's a direct uh, quote from this article. They're interviewing people in Canada and the people in Canada who are part of the Ukrainian diaspora mm. there. They basically said that there's no evidence linking this veteran to war crimes. Quote, without any due process, this person is a victim of a Russian narrative that has now been successful. Mr. Poldisky said this. Mr. Poldisky is one of the Ukrainian diaspora that the BBC has interviewed. Uh, my first question is, what do you think of that statement? And my second question, also from the BBC article, it says that Russian disinformation targets Ukraine's history. As this historical debate entered the 21st century, it was made more complicated by modern Russian propaganda, which falsely labeled the Ukrainian government as Nazis to justify its invasion of the country. Professor Marples said that while far-right extremism still exists in Ukraine and is much smaller than what Russian propaganda tries to make people believe. And Ukrainian elected officials are not tied to any far-right group in the country. Russia has greatly simplified the narrative. That's a quote from Professor Marples. What do you make of uh, this article and these quotes and statements from the people? Well, How would you argue with, that? Yeah. Well, let's if, 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 if there is something to argue. 
Well, let, let this first of all start with the with the original statement. You know, this person is not linked to war crimes. He served in the SS. That already links him to war crimes. I mean, this is a prescribed organization. The SS is a organization that carried out perhaps the greatest number of war crimes in, in in human history and he was a member of it and he volunteered for it and he volunteered for ss galicia which is of course a ss division which also is known to have carried out some extraordinary things try arguing this in poland <laughs> try arguing this with you know with israel israeli people what this article uh, you know and I'm not going to get into the details about Ukraine. I mean, so far as today's Ukraine, look at the sort of things that people wear on their uh, on their badges. Look at the symbols you see um, on the tanks, you know, the, the Aryan symbols, supposedly, and all that kind of thing, which you see on the tanks. Look at the names that some Ukrainian units are given, the Edelweiss Brigade and things of that kind. For me, it is absolutely clear that the BBC is trying again to repair the damage caused by this affair. It has not been widely publicised in Britain. Relatively few people know about it. So they're trying also to paper over the cracks, repair the damage, say this isn't quite as bad as it looks. This is all Russian disinformation and propaganda that's leading you down this path, ultimately, um, there isn't any great big deal about this, this whole this whole incident, and move on from it and forget about it. We should not move on. We should not forget about it. The Speaker of the Canadian Parliament has resigned. Trudeau is on the defensive. Poland is furious and is seeking the extradition of this person. Are, are the Poles part of the Russian disinformation machine? I mean, just just asking. Uh, um, um, many people, you know, many people in Israel, Jewish people around the world are upset about this. Shame on the BBC for publicizing articles like this. Yeah, they came to the defense of Trudeau. Yeah. Commander Crossfire asks, what does the future hold for Armenia in your view? Well, the Armenians are an extremely ancient people. They, are, they have been um, in the Southern Caucasus for millennia. They were the first people to adopt Christianity as the official religion of their nation and country. And I'm sure that they will come through. But they are in a very dangerous place at the moment more dangerous than they have been at any time than at any time since the beginning of the 20th century when as we know the uh, um, pogroms and the massacre and the genocide attempted genocide in armenia took place so uh, and what is extremely upsetting very disturbing about this is that they're being led into it by their own leaders yeah i agree with that uh, df welcome to the duran community and Law of Attraction writes, Christia Freeland was one of the top candidates to become a NATO general secretary. Yeah. How do you see her chances today after the hashtag Nazigate? Well, very good question. And I mean, you know, this is she, she's not going to become NATO sec, general secretary. I think this is unlikely. Um, but the question is, what is her position in Canadian politics? 
I mean, we'll, I mean, there are there is talk, serious talk, that she might become prime minister of Canada. And of course, she's gone out of her way to try to distance herself, or rather, to suppress discussion of the kind of things that her grandfather was up to. Lots of articles, by the way, out there on the internet. You can find them. But will this draw attention and lead to questions being asked about that? I'm not sure. Coming back, by the way, to the BBC article, the fact that they've had to write articles like this tells you how right Alex is that this is cut through. It means that the BBC is being put out to make these kind of responses because the British government is worried and embarrassed about this affair. The BBC. I want to know. The British state well, broadcaster coming yeah. to, coming to yeah. the defense of these guys. Hmm. That it's. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm speechless. Jonathan Ventura says, good morning from California. California. What <laughs> is your take on Brent WTI crude oil for the remainder of 2023 and how that affects Biden next year? Well, you know, I, I, anybody who tries to predict the movement in oil prices is uh, setting themselves up for a fall. I mean, anybody who tries that, I mean, just, just look at the way oil goes up and down and whatever. But I think the general consensus is that oil is going to remain strong, uh, expensive for most of this year and might rise further. There's even some talk that we're on the brink of another commodity super cycle. Now, that's the case. I find that astonishing, given that the entire Western world is in recession. I mean, that's you don't usually get commodity super cycles when you know the West is in recession. And if that is the case, we are in a diminishing, it, it shows the diminishing economic influence of the West. But putting all that aside, I think we are, I, I gather that there is a general oil shortage. And I also understand that the reason there is this oil shortage is that the United States and Europe responded to the energy problems last year by releasing a disproportionate amount of oil from their strategic reserves, not just the state controlled ones, but the private reserves. They were all people were encouraged to sell oil on the market in order to depress the price and keep consumers happy. And of course, what's now happening is that all of that is catching up. There is just not enough oil around. OPEC Plus has, of course, moved to undertake production cuts. And um, Chinese demand is getting stronger again. And of course, the Chinese and the Indians have now got the entire market for it, Russian oil essentially to themselves. So there's less oil around, there's less reserves around, and that is putting an upward pressure on oil. And when oil goes up, ultimately all other commodities follow. Commander Crossfire writes, I'm calling it, there will be no offensive this winter, no Russian offensive this winter. You may be very, you may very well be right about this. I mean, you know, we've had sort of signals from some Russian officials, Balitsky, Alaudinov, and the others, that they might try some kind of offensive. If they do, I suspect it will be fairly limited. A a, a, a Dima on the military summary channel is talking about um, a Russian offensive around the Oskol River. He says that the Russians have 
put all the pieces in place. They've blown up the bridges along the Oskol River. This is their moment to create a mini cauldron around there and trap the Ukrainian troops that are in this area um, east of the Oskol River. He may be right. I mean, I don't know. But I think if anything happens, it could very well be limited and on that kind of scale. I, what the Russians are doing is that they're engaging in a massive manpower and equipment buildup. They're going to have 400,000 extra soldiers um, in the army by the end of this year. They have to train them. They have to equip them. The military industries are humming. <laughs> they're increasing production. That will take some time to happen. And some people take certain comments that Shoigu, the defense minister, made that there's going to be that, you know, the, as a sign that the Russians see the war ending in 2025. So that it could be the case that the real Russian plan is to launch a big offensive sometime towards the end of the summer. But an offensive there is going to be. I think that the view that one is seeing is that the Russians are going to simply sit behind their fortifications indefinitely is clearly wrong. All you have to do is to listen to what Russian leaders, Russian political uh, leaders like Lavrov, Volodin, uh, Shoigu are all saying they're not, it seems to me, talking now as if Russia is going to remain on the defensive forever. They're talking about Ukraine risking self-destruction and that points to an offensive at some point. Kavban says, if it's the intention of the neocons to alienate most of the world, then they are doing a fantastic job. Correct. Yes, Absolutely. Are. But of course, it's the American people, the people of Europe who pay the price. Yeah. Earthworm Jim, thank you for that awesome super chat. Best news source on the internet. Keep it up, guys. Thank you, Earthworm Jim. Ruben Botero says, a cornered animal is the most dangerous. Prepare for radical actions and events. Completely true. I mean, when the point comes, when I think people in Washington do understand how uh, critical the situation is becoming, well, you know, things might start to get even more dangerous and even un more unpredictable than they're looking than they're looking at the moment. Alexander Sisolas, thank you for that super sticker. Axel asks, why is the Western MSM saying that Russia must be defeated in Ukraine, but governments are not willing to act like it? No war economies, no troops yet. Because um, um, they know perfectly well that if they move towards war economies and all of those kind of things, send troops in, there would be massive political and public opposition. The only reason they're able to continue with this is because they are only able to go as far as they have done. They've, they've done all that they can, and even a little bit more. I mean, they've taken big, big, big risks, but they know perfectly well that if, um, you know, American troops, for example, are sent to Ukraine, or we start mobilizing our economies around war, which will inevitably create start to create consumer good shortages and still higher inflation, then, of course, at that point, public opinion will shift completely. Kraukach1001, please watch Einstein's Gruppen tell a real horror story. 
tells a real mm -hmm. horror story. Absolutely. You know, these were the units that the uh, Nazis, the Germans, created just before the invasion of the Soviet Union. And, I mean, they were basically sent into the Soviet Union to carry out exterminations there, which they did. On a huge scale, they killed millions. Jungle, Jingle, how do you think the West's current campaign against Modi will affect Indian public opinion? Will it potentially stop Indian brain drain to the West? Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that a large majority of Indian people who are politically engaged will be furious about this. And I think it will make them less keen to be friends for India to be friends with the United States. But of course, there's lots of people who have to make individual decisions. The United States remains for many people in India an attractive destination. It's still a place where you can get a good education at universities or so it's perceived. And there are still important and useful jobs you can do, good jobs you can take, get in the IT industries, in all kinds of other places. So, you know, always separate what individuals do and by the way don't make judgments on them i mean if people want to self-improve that's fine um don't conflate the two andres berzins we are the community that can save the world but on a smile <laughs> true enough thank you for that uh Lerka Lerka Perka says, do you think the U.S. will try to organize protests in Turkey as the next stop, as the next step of exit from the Middle East? Well, very likely. I mean, there's all sorts of groups that have been working overtime to do precisely that. They failed in the elections, the presidential elections. Um, against that, I have to say, Erdogan himself doesn't look terribly well at the moment. He's looking increasingly frail. And I think there will be people in Washington who are now thinking, you know, when Erdogan goes, he won't be there for much longer. I'm sure that's the calculation. Let's make sure that whoever takes over from him is more friendly to us. Commander Crossfire, should Russia, China transform SCO into East NATO? No, <laughs> they don't want to do that. And the reason they don't want to do that is because one of the reasons they've made so many friends around the world is because they are, go out of their way to say we are not a block. So if they transform the SEO into East NATO, okay, Russia, China, they do that. Would India want to be continue to be involved, given that India places such value on its position as a non-aligned state? Why would it want to be part of an alliance in which it was in a subordinate position? So you keep the structure loose, but of course, its very looseness is its strength. Alexander Sislos, glad to be joining you, you again, guys. I hope that your glasnos lasts well beyond the current perestroika period, obliterates what's left of the mainstream media. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep going. Thank you for that, Don't worry. Paul Walker asks, why does the MOD peddle such fake news? I believe the Ministry of Defense of Britain, Ukraine, Britain, 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 I presume. I mean, you know, the U.S. has a Department of Defense. Well, I, 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 we come back to this problem. Why is Britain's Britain? especially bad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the intelligence summits, I mean, they're the people who gave us the story about the shovels, for example. 
<laughs> just, just, just saying. I mean, the British are over-invested in this conflict in Ukraine. I mean, they, they've gone, I mean, frankly, slightly bonkers. Well, not slightly, they've gone, they've gone completely bonkers over this. Um, quite why, I don't know. I mean, I suspect it is this tremendous Russophobia that you know holds us in our grip in, in it in our in its grip and it it makes it impossible for people in Britain or, or for the leadership in Britain to see what bigger British interests are. Way back in the 50s and 60s, people like Harold Macmillan, and then of course in the 80s, Margaret Thatcher understood that you know having a good relationship with the russians is actually in british interests and it actually increases leverage both in the united states and in europe and that's what the british did in those days and they did it very successfully and it worked for themselves there's always been that undercurrent of russophobia in british life and it is now absolutely in the ascendant Nigel asks, what chance does Dr. West have in the 2024 election? Dr. West? C Cornell. Cornell West. Oh, I don't know. Alex, you're better at this. No. I would have thought none. <laughs> I mean, you know. no, no. Com Commander Crossfire, Trudeau trying to shore up support from Sikh Ukrainian voting blocks ahead of contentious election won't hurt because Canadians like not like Nazi ideology. Well, absolutely, yeah. Christy, strikes on Russia surely need tough response now, question mark. Well, again, why should the Russians be panicked into massive strikes against Ukraine, which might actually work out against them and play into um, Western agendas when they're in the process of winning the biggest military strategic victory um, that any army has achieved in Europe since the end of the Second World War. I mean, I'm just making this point because you, 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 people get very worked up about, you know, things like the strikes on the building in Sevastopol. And I've been saying all along, this building was empty. Now it's becoming widely accepted that it is. And you can see that in the background, there was anger about this, that there's been criticism of Ukraine for doing it because they wasted, they've thrown away six valuable missiles on a missile strike against an empty building. So they came up with stories that the admiral in charge of the Black Sea Fleet had been killed, that dozens of people had been killed. And that's turned into another PR disaster because the man is alive and well, and the whole story is discredited. So why should the Russians let themselves be goaded into unwise overreactions by things like that when as i said they have just won or are in the process of winning a major military victory in eastern ukraine because remember this was ukraine's offensive they've lost the russians say seventy thousand men launching it seventy thousand uh, they've lost hundreds of tanks hundreds of infantry fighting vehicles. We've seen the Leopard 2s and the Challenger 2s and the Bradleys burning on the steps. Isn't that retaliation enough? Yeah. And now the Abrams that are going to Ukraine. Abrams. 
Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, you're, you're already getting talk from, uh, from the U.S. saying that, you know, the Abrams are not going to really be useful with the uh, raid and mud. So, yeah, we'll deliver them to Ukraine, but they're, they're really not going to be used in any type of offensive. Yeah. You can see the games they're playing. Yeah. The, the U.S., they don't want to see those Abrams yes. burning like the leopards, mm -hmm. but they also don't want to make it appear like they're not going to give Ukraine anything. Exactly. So that's that's the timing of the Abrams delivery is on purpose. Exactly. Just going back to that earlier point, the point that you made all those months ago. Zelensky and his people are all about movies and theater. They want us to think of this war like a Hollywood movie. We have the James Bond activities. We have the missile strikes on uh, empty buildings. Let's not get trapped into their narrative. Let's not fall for their narrative. The really big events are what happens on the battlefields. And there it's absolutely clear now who's winning. Everybody can see it. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. And what happens on the economic front? And what happens on the economic front even more? Yeah. Um, Andres Berzins, after Evika Silina, the new prime minister of Latvia, mm. talking about Ukraine joining the EU and NATO, I am afraid Latvia has been corrupted. Does she fear Moscow or Washington more? Well, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. I'm afraid I think that Latvia, the, the, the government of Latvia, has been, like all the other Baltic governments, have been pursuing a misconceived foreign policy in relationship towards Russia for a very, very long time, which is that what, whatever feelings one has about what happened in the past, and I understand people in the Baltic states have extremely strong feelings about the past. The fact remains that Russia is the great power in their neighborhood. The United States is far away. It has its own agendas. They're not necessarily in the interests of the Baltic states. And by playing along with these agendas, by playing along with the agendas of the EU bureaucracy as well, what they're doing is that they're making this great power on their doorstep into an enemy. And that's never a good position to be, because when your allies, your assumed allies, are far away but your enemy or your potential enemy is on your doorstep, then your strategic position is, is not good. The right thing for the Baltic states to have done was to maintain good relations with, with Russia, to try and repair the damage, to put the past behind, to get the Russians to say, you know, to stop thinking about the Baltic states and stop worrying about the Baltic states so that the Baltic states in turn can stop worrying about Russia. And that means a policy for the Baltic states of trying to forge peace in Eastern Europe. That was the right policy, but they didn't do it. Clear NFO, did Stalin's Holodomor influence Ukraine's support for the small mustache man? Well, I, this is a complicated story, can I just say? But, but that's the narrative. Much, no, no, Clear NFO is right. That is that is the, that is that the, is the reasons stated I'm, for why certain forces in West Ukraine, Bandera, why Bandera? Bandera exactly. But, but, uh, but, aligned with with the small mustache man. That's absolutely. that's the reason I that's know. given. I know. But bear something in mind. 
we're talking about if we're talking about SS Galicia, which is where the you know a lot of these Ukrainians came from, and if you're talking about the place where Bandera's popularity has always been strongest, which is Galicia, Western Ukraine, it wasn't part of the Soviet Union when the Holodomor, the collectivization famine, actually happened. It was part of Poland at that time. So the people there were not affected by it. So I, I don't think that this is a sufficient explanation, or perhaps even the real explanation. The hostility to Russia was always there. And I'm sorry to say this also, the predisposition to go for the um, to, to support the mustached person was also, I suspect, also there. If you go, if you actually study the, the history of the Second World War, and there are lots of books about this, people by, by Daniel Gantz and all kinds of others, what you tend to find is that in the areas where of Ukraine, which were under Soviet control during the time of the Holodomor, generally most people seem to have remained hostile to the Germans. So that's that's I, I you know that's what I would say. I mean, the BBC complains that the Russians oversimplify things. The people who oversimplify things much more, it seems to me, are people in the West who um, try to bring the whole Holodomor into everything. It's an interesting point that you made, Alexander, mm -hmm. about the people that actually suffered from mm -hmm. the collectivization are the people that still remained, um, I guess, sympathetic or loyal to, yeah. to the Soviet Union. To, yes. Yeah. Very interesting point. Uh, Radio Konstantinopolis. Alex, will you please comment on McGregor's characterization of an emotional component on the part of the neocons against Russia? Well, he's right. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything more than that. We've I mean, talked about it many times. Many about it, many, I mean, these of... people these people hate Russia. <laughs> I mean, um, not always easy for me to understand why, by the way, but they do. Yeah. Uh, Medoj, Medoj, Chapanspitz. Thank you for that super sticker. Uh, Paul Walker, Klitschko stated that he would not lay down his life for Ukraine on German media, yet he expects everyone else to, to Ukraine defense ministers seems lacking. Well, I think this is right. I mean, one of the great things about, one of the strange things about this uh, conflict is this extraordinary sense of entitlement that the Ukrainians seem to have about the West, that they expect the West to come and support Ukraine, you know, to the absolute limit. And for for what it's worth, and I have noticed, tended to notice this, you don't tend to see many Ukrainian officials or former officials going out to fight on the battle lines in the way that, say, FDR's children fought in the US military during the war. Uh, and, you know, Ab Abraham Lincoln's son wanted to join the military during the Civil War. You don't really see much. Uh, for what it's worth, Stalin's sons also fought in the Second World War on the battlefront. You don't tend to see that so much in Ukraine, or at least if you do, I haven't really heard it. Did they survive, Stalin's sons? One of them was captured by the Germans, and um, 
he the the Germans tried to get him to um, um, go against the Soviet Union, which he absolutely refused. Um, and the Germans then contacted the Red Cross and asked to exchange offered to exchange him for some German generals who Stalin had captured. And Stalin refused. He said, "I do not swap um, a private for a general." And it's not that he didn't love his children, by the way. I mean, Stalin was a monster in some things, but he was also, in some some things, a, a human being. Because his father, his his other son, um, was a fighter pilot and eventually came to command a, a fighter squadron. He survived the war. And um, he had many psychological issues, and there's been many, many criticisms of him. And that um, British film, The Death of Stalin, sort of makes him look like a ridiculous and ludicrous figure. Over the last few years, uh, the other son's actual military performance has been reassessed, and it's now come to be accepted that he was a very brave pilot and a very successful commander. Uh, fractured, thank you for that super sticker. Andres Persins, please talk about the Wagner Group and the French in Niger. <laughs> right, actually, it's a good thing because you haven't we'll have news about Wagner. I've no sorry, today we have news about Wagner. Really, Putin's tell me, I haven't, I haven't well, Putin's meeting with the Wagner, one of the Wagner uh guys that set up Wagner. Oh, just that's said, right. yes, yes, yeah, yes. you've done it already. Do it again, but do it for the again, north. exactly. Yes, I mean, I, I think we're thinking Wagner being reconstituted and coming back. Yeah. And there's been this rather strange story, which I haven't made any sense of, about this Illusion 76 that's supposed to have crashed somewhere in Africa with people dying on it. And you know, I, I don't want to go there, but uh, Niger is a very, very interesting story because um, the French. Um, tried to get ECOWAS to intervene in Niger. Lots of talk for a long time that they were going to. Um, it didn't happen. The Niger uh, people pulled the French bluff, called the French an ECOWAS bluff. Macron has been completely humiliated. The French ambassador has now had to be withdrawn. He refused to pull him out when the Niger authorities said that he was persona non grata, but in the now he has been pulled out, and the entire French position in Niger has collapsed. And Le Pen is making a lot big play on this apparently in France. She's saying this is an example of Macron's arrogance, having uh, damaged French interests in a country that was formerly um, um, that was formerly in in um, very close to France, so there we are. So, and sorry, Wagner I think I is coming. You with that, with that message. Yeah. <laughs> Wagner, you did indeed. Wagner is indeed coming into um, into its own increasingly in West Africa. Suravikin has been in Africa as well, by the way. And there's this other general, Russian general, who's there. And all sorts of things are going on, which are not easy to to see. If I can just come to that point. The son did become an alcoholic after yeah. the war. That is unquestioned. And he, I mean, he went into a spiral of decline, which accelerated after his father died, and especially after de-Stalinization began. So he did go into, but as I said, his actual um, role during service. The war, service during the war has now been reassessed. 
and it, it's um, gradually come to be understood that there was a lot of criticism and abuse of him, um, which is more politically oriented than anything else. Yeah. Commander Crossfire, I said this at the beginning and I'll say it again. The Ukraine experiment with independence has gone too far and must end with the reintegration with Russia. Lots more and more people are starting to think that way. It, wasn't that the implication in some respects of what Volodin was saying? Yeah. From uh, Victor Papadopoulos. Good question. How does the Biden administration's treatment of their political opponents affect their brinksmanship with Russia and China? Do they realize that mistreating half the country may cause them to tell Biden to F off when push comes to shove? Well, indeed, I think what it is doing, actually, is it's causing them to take a harder line. I think that uh, they feel that if they are they show weakness domestically, then you know, in Russia and China, people will interpret that as weakness in their foreign policy. And conversely, if they show weakness or what they perceive to be weakness in the relationships with the Chinese and the Russians, that will undermine their position in the domestic political struggle in the United States. So I think that 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 is what it does. It actually limits options and makes it more difficult for them to make um, good choices. David asks, why weren't the Ukrainian people integrated into the Russian nation during the times of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union? Well, I think this is a huge story, but I mean, it all goes back to Lenin's uh, uh, nationalities policies and Stalin's nationalities policies. And the fact that Lenin had a strong view that every nationality in the Soviet Union ought to be given its own state and be united together in the union and his hostility to what he called Russian chauvinism and all of these things. Um, um, many people in Russia today say this was a disastrous mistake. And one of them, one of the ones who said this more often than almost anyone else is Putin, by the way. Paul Walker, could the hunker, the hunker for pa be the off-ramp the West needs? The hunker for power. The, the hunker, hunker, hunker. Oh, the, the hunker. The, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I don't think, it, I mean, it, it could be used that way, but I don't think it will be. Just just look at the response from the BBC. They're trying to play it down. Um, uh, it's not as if anybody in Washington, any official, official from the Biden administration, is trying to use it in that fashion. Nobody has criticized Zelensky. You notice the Trudeau has actually apologized to Zelensky for the incident. So they're not trying to use this in the kind in that kind of a way. And Zelensky hasn't said anything no. about it. Not one no. thing. No. Yeah. Uh Grapes says, have the offspring of the Nazis that moved to Canada and the USA in 1945 reestablished stealth Fourth Reich in North America? Yes. Well, I mean, they, they, they are active. They have their organizations. They um, um, are involved in all kinds of um, things. And of course, you know, this subculture has existed and has never really been interfered with. The analytical failure, Russian MOD stated plans for war, to, for war till 2025. Meanwhile, Blinken plays the blues to west to 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 affect western elites 
how long can as long as it takes policy last? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, you know, the Russians are engaging in forward planning. The America, the, the, the administration is incapable of it. I mean, it's an absolute fact. Now, about Action Plan 2025, um, this was a, a reference that Shoigu made over the course of a meeting of the Defence Ministry Board. And I got to say this, there is a machine translation that's going around, which sort of suggests that 2025 is the end date for the special military operation, according to this plan. Um, the actual translation that the Russian Defense Ministry has provided doesn't say that. And what it seemed to suggest instead was that this is a procurement plan, a military procurement plan and training plan for the Russian military that goes up to 2025. So I just want to make that point. I mean, people who speak Russian and are able to read the original on the Defence Ministry's website in Russian might be able to provide some clarity. But um, it's not how I read it, what I read it to mean when I actually read the official translation of, of uh, Shoigu's words. Hmm. Emila, what do you guys think of Alexander Dugin? He's heavily maligned and lied of in the West, but Professor Dugin's philosophical analysis is spot on. I think he's an absolutely brilliant scholar. I think he's one of the most erudite men on the planet. I think he's, uh, like many intellectuals, uh, somebody who says extreme things, or at least things that people seem to be extreme, because what he does a lot of the time, again, like many intellectuals, is he thinks aloud. By the way, I mean, it's not a secret. My wife is an academic and she, to some extent, is involved in these kinds of debates. And she will tell you that is what academics do. And of course, what people do is they take these things that Dugan sometimes says or sometimes writes and they assume that these are his considered views. But when you actually work through his considered views, they tend to be an awful lot more uh, um, measured than some of his statements that are taken out of context suggest. My big issue with Dugan is that he's very good at deconstructing, if you like, a lot of what's going on in the world and in the West and also at the ideologies. But he's far less good. In fact, um, I think he basically fails in his attempts to put something in their place. I, I read the fourth political theory or whatever it was called. And he went through all the other political theories, liberalism, fascism, communism. And he discussed them, I thought, very cleverly, very intelligently. And then I was waiting to see what the fourth political theory would be, or at least some indications of where he thought it should go. And it just all seemed to fall flat. He didn't really, he's not, he's not visionary in that kind of way. Tip Gibson, thank you for that super sticker. Sanjeva says Indira Gandhi was grandmother of Rahul Gandhi, the current Indian Congress leader. And Rahul's father, Rajiv, was killed also by separatists, not yes. Sikh. That's why Indian Congress Party is leading the criticism of Canada. Well, that's exactly correct. I mean, it's entirely right. So, I mean, he was the grandson. I, I wasn't sure. But you see that this is this is not a party, the Congress party, that is going to be sympathetic to Sikh 
nationalism and it is um, separatism. And it is the party which led India to independence and wanted all of India, all of what was then British India, which included Pakistan and Bangladesh, to be remain united within the single Indian state. So these people are not going to support separatism or secessionism from India, and they're not going to have any time for secessionists or separatists in Canada either. And a Canadian government that comes after the Indian government over something like that is not going to find any support in Congress. Yeah, RL says the future of Western Ukraine is written in the EU stars, even the colors of the flags match. However, it is a future of a spiral of economic decline and empty promises by the West. Very clever yes. comment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've discussed yeah, so often. Yep. Jungle Jin, how will Russia cope if it has to swallow Ukraine? Well, that is a very, very big question. And I'm sure there are a lot of people in the economics uh, ministries in uh, Moscow who, whenever it's suggested that, you know, Russia swallow Ukraine, I think they probably come out in a cold sweat and say to themselves, my God, do we really need this? But there will be enormous problems at the beginning. But I'm going to say something about this, which is that it's important to remember that Ukraine and Russia, for centuries, going all the way back to the 17th century, formed a single economic space. And Ukraine is actually potentially a very rich country. It's got the most fertile earth on the planet. It's got lots of resources. It's got a trained and educated workforce. The reason Ukraine has struggled economically since the Soviet Union broke up was because as the weaker part of the bigger economic space, it has gone into decline. And of course, that has intensified the um, processes of corruption and oligarchization, which you've seen in Ukraine. But if this economic space is reconstituted, then at some point after the recovery period is overcome, the synergies will start to come into play. And far from being a burden, you could see the whole thing sort of lift off even more. Maestro, you supported Russell Brand and Assange, but never once supported Andrew Tate, who is accused by the Matrix, Tucker, Elon, etc. all supported him. Why not you? He well, never raped. I am a member of his war room. Well, first of all, I, I don't think we've actually said a huge amount I don't about think Russell we've said Brand. anything about it. <laughs> I mean, uh, what, what but, I will simply say about Russell Brand is what I've said already, which is that uh, um, um, he is. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what happened in the past. I don't know what happened in the past, but due process with respect to him has completely collapsed. And it is absolutely obvious to me that he is the target of a hit job. Everything that I've seen about Andrew Tate, about whom I know very little, by the way, <laughs> uh, you might, might be surprised to learn, but it suggests to me the same thing. I am primarily focused on geopolitical things and I can't follow everything. And I haven't followed very closely either Russell Brand's career up to this point, or indeed Andrew Tate's either. In the case of Julian Assange, I know about this very well because it directly affects a world I used to work with, 
which is the legal world in London, about which I feel deeply ashamed. Yeah, yeah I, I think the, I think you said it perfectly, Alexander. I mean, a Andrew Tate, we've spoken very little about it because I think it's just a different, it's a, it, it's a different track than what we do. I mean, we do geopolitics. I know Andrew Tate talks, he does talk some politics, but I know he's mostly talking about social issues. Yeah. Uh, Russell Brand is closer. Yes. Even though Russell Brand does talk a lot about social issues, yes, he has started to talk more about geopolitics. And Assange, of course, is one hundred percent geopolitics. I mean, yeah, and and everything that's happened with Assange is, you know, in your city. So exactly, yeah, it's very close to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rubia asks, "Thanks, guys. They're so delusional in Canada. They couldn't." believe people would be upset about an ex-NAZI SS officer being cheered on. I think that, cheered is, on. that you know, increasingly this is the view I'm coming to. I think that they, I, 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 the view, by the way, that these people were ignorant of what he was and who he was, including the part, the MPs. I, I just, I don't believe that. I mean, MPs might not be the brightest and the best educated people on the planet, but they're sufficiently informed to know who these people are but they look the other way because they thought that the rest of us wouldn't notice that's what they think about us now they think that they control them the narrative so completely that they didn't understand that this would cut through and that people would know exactly who this person was and would respond in the way that they did uh, Claude Bilodeau, hi from Quebec City, Canada. Uh, Raphael says, I crack Putin's code. The Romans never kill a leader. They fight you. They win. You keep your power. You work for Rome. Zelensky will work for Moscow. <laughs> well, they did sometimes kill the other side. I mean, they, they arranged the assassination of Hannibal. And Vercingetorix, who was the Gaul, Gaulish leader that Julius Caesar fought, he was also... Uh, uh, killed by the Romans. So don't say that they never kill, uh, the, killed uh, their, their opponents. But, you know, Hannibal was a great man. Vercingetorix was a great man. Many of the other people that the Romans fought and whom they did integrate into their system were brave and honourable men. And the Romans saw them in that way. And that's why they you know, brought them into their system, because they thought that they were people who would add value and credit and strength to their empire. Does anybody think that Zelensky will add value and honor and strength to the Russian system? I can't imagine it. I think I think the Russians will absolutely not want him serving them. What would his service amount to? I mean, it would be <laughs> ludicrous. I mean, it would be. I, I mean, it, 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 it is it is a, a, inconceivable to me that he would have any place in the political system in Moscow or in any but, part. But he, would be, he, would be, he would be safe. Well, safe. I don't know. If he, if he managed to work out a deal with Russia, he wouldn't yeah. be able to keep his money. Yeah. He'd be under 24-hour-a-day uh, surveillance. Yeah. But that oh. would be a way for him to yeah. survive this. Uh, absolutely. Perhaps. Absolutely. Perhaps. And, of course, they might want him to come forward and give evidence. In give it, yeah. trials and whatever it is that they might be planning. There is talk, by the way, in Russia, setting up some kind of a tribunal. So we'll see. Yeah. Commander Crossfire says, I saw a report from Canada has 750,000 homeless 
Am I reading that correctly? With a population of 40 million, and California has 250,000, putting Canada on top of homelessness in the Western world or bottom. Sad. It is very sad. It is very, very sad. Rich countries, Canada, California, would be rich places. Command Command the crossfire, Canada, public support. Canada public would support sending troops to fight Russia. Or so, yeah. Well, AJ, um, thank you. For, yeah, they might Go not ahead. support it for very long once they got there and found themselves fighting the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. AJ, thank you for that super sticker. Claudia says Suela Braverman's speech in Washington a couple of days ago. Thoughts, please, and on responses. Yeah, I think she's clearly aiming to become the next Conservative Prime Minister. And of course, she's ruffled a lot of feathers amongst the uh, liberal class in uh, Britain by taking a more right-wing positions on issues like topics like immigration and on the cultural issues. Um, And she might very well become the the next Conservative leader, but I don't see her as Prime Minister at the moment. Uh, to be to be straightforward about this and it could also be a sign of how the conservatives intend to fight the election so they could try to base it more on the culture politics issues than they have done up to this point than has been typical of britain how that will play out in britain i'm not really sure but i will say this um Starmer's lead is falling. I mean, it's falling from a colossal 24% to a still very high 16%. But he's not popular amongst the British people. People are voting for him because so far they see him as inevitable. And he's given the impression that up till now that he sort of grudgingly accepts Brexit. He's going back on the Brexit issue. He's sort of drifting towards some sort of a re-engagement. And, you know, Braverman coming forward and making a speech like this, I think it could start to create dividing lines. And the idea is, gives people out there in Britain something that they might say, well, the Conservatives are closer to what we think than Labour is. The Conservatives haven't governed well, but we don't want Labour back. And it could be that that's 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 the strategy at the moment. But as I said, overall, she is somebody who wants to be conservative leader. And if she ever becomes conservative prime minister, she's absolutely part of the British political establishment. Things will remain as always. It's that famous thing from, you know, comment that Lampedusa once made. The more things change in Britain the more they remain the same. And that's absolutely true about our political system. Mitch Bushy says, this is for a nine volt battery for Alexander and to make it worth his while to replace it in his smoke alarm. Yeah. Joke. Tom, somebody says, Trudeau apologizes to Ukraine, Zelensky, Holocaust victims, but not Russia, Poland, no mention of justice for a Nazi war criminal and took no personal responsibility speaks volumes to the West hatred of Russia. You made a very good point, actually. I mean, Trudeau should have resigned over this. I mean, in once upon a time, 
he would a, a prime minister of canada who got caught up in a catastrophe uh, like that would have taken responsibility and would have resigned he hasn't done so his apology is not is a non-apology it's blame the russians which is of course what the bbc is now doing i mean they're clearly following trudeau's lead by the way yeah elena diaz sarah cirillo says russians are not europeans but mongols i've seen german scholars say the same i don't understand why they think it matters please help me understand the logic i agree with you on that elena yeah there, 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 there's a whole lot of, uh, of of racism in that in that comment. There is a there is a whole lot of racism in that comment. There's a huge amount of racism in that comment. But notice, notice again the presumption, which is part of this racism in this comment, which of course you get also in uh, Joseph Morel's comments about the jungle, yeah, the jungle. and in Robert Kagan's yeah. points about the jungle that Europe. Is somehow superior <laughs> that we're the superior civilization now because the russians until well now basically have conceived of themselves as europeans what they're starting to say and they're starting to see also what the european union has become but also what europe is how europe is responding they say do we really want to be part of that especially when they hate us so much and show what they think about us so maybe we should accept what they say no longer conceive of ourselves in, as europeans in the same way uh, think of ourselves as eurasians instead and seek a new destiny outside europe as eurasians now you know there's always been a current of people who have thought rather like that dostoevsky to some extent did but it was never the dominant one in Russia. Um, and it never, or so it seems to me, gained much traction with the larger Russian population. I think this is shifting. And to be clear, if this happens, it will be a disaster for Europe because Russia is a huge country with a tremendous culture, a culture which up to now we have always tended to think of as European. I mean, Tchaikovsky, uh, uh, Tolstoy, they've always been seen as part of the European culture, ultimately. So if all this detaches itself and goes another way, we are impoverished. Hmm. Amanda Crossfire, the West's hate Hitler because he failed to wipe out Russia after all leverage West gave him in 1939-1941 to go east. The US-UK only stepped in when Russia was going to win. Well, I, I think that is going too far. I mean, I think there are there were certainly some people in Britain um, um, who definitely wanted to defeat Germany before 1941. And if you follow the diplomacy at that time, very complicated diplomacy, but certainly Churchill wanted to create uh, a situation where um, the Soviet Union and Britain were allies before the war even began, before 1939. He was a strong supporter of um, forging an alliance with the Soviets, as was Lloyd George, who was his friend, the former Liberal Prime Minister. So I think this is a more complicated thing. But in a, in a, in a, uh, there is nonetheless a lot of truth in what you say. And um, over the course of a recent program that we did, a live stream that we did, somebody quoted 
uh, a comment that Marshal Zhukov, Yogi Zhukov made, which is that the West would never forgive the Russians for being the prime force which defeated Hitler in the Second World War. And you can see that even then, there were some Russians who were seeing that, you know, that this alliance is not going to continue well after the Second World War, that ultimately the tensions are there and they will come back and they will come back in a vengeance worse than before. Incognito says, Leo Tolstoy, a giant. Dostoevsky stood on his shoulders. Well, they massively admired each other, but apparently had only one meeting, which is interesting. Um, th there is a, a, a big difference between between them, by the way. I mean, they, their writings, their their novels are very different in, in character and quality. And, and I mean, I say quality. I'm not making. I I, I I I consider them both equally great, but the feel of the novels is very different but they greatly ad admired each other. Tolstoy, of course, started before Dostoevsky, but Dostoevsky had his own voice and it's different from Tolstoy's, but they both, as I said, greatly admired each other. Cobb fan, do you think the success of Russia in the war against the West can in part be char characterized as the superiority of a mixed economy over neoliberalism? That's a very good question, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I I would put it slightly. Di I would put it differently. I, I'd say that it's the case of an economy that's rationally managed as a case, as against another one which isn't, and an economy that is no longer oligarch dominated. That was one thing that the Putin government made absolutely sure when they took over that the oligarchs were broken in Russia over an e economic system in the West that has become entirely oligarch-dominated. Rafik Adams, what constitutes winning the war from Russia's perspective? Well, that, of course, is an excellent question. I think the Russians have made clear that they have certain minimum demands. They, they don't want Ukraine in NATO. They don't want uh, uh, the current regime in Kiev to survive. Now, a lot of Russians have said this, and I think this is now clear. I mean, I think this is now... A, a political objective. They want a Ukraine that is friendly to themselves and they will not accept anything less. And if that means perhaps having to absorb more of Ukraine or even all of Ukraine, then they will do that. But success for Russia, and Putin has defined it very clearly now, and Lavrov restated it in this big interview he gave to TASS, success for Russia is a situation where Russia has confidence about the security of its Western borders. Paul Walker, thoughts on Ukraine planning an airborne operation? An airborne operation, what, paratroops, <laughs> things like that <laughs> dropping from the skies. I mean, that would be an incredibly impossible the thing for Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine to do. I mean, I mean, it's a fantasy yeah. action. Hollywood, think Hollywood, Paul. Think Hollywood. Think, think how they think. They're yeah. thinking big, big cinematic, yeah. airborne uh, operations, operations taking place. That's, that's how mean, yes. Zelensky and his team are, are picturing this. Yes. 
Commander Crossfire, Baltic states need to be reintegrated into Russia, but only in my wildest dreams and the dreams of anyone who cares about the people that live there. I think the Baltic nations have a very strong aspiration for independence, and I think that should be respected. I'm somebody who believes in self-determination, and I think, you know, they exercise their right to self-determination. They form their own nations, they form their own states. Russia accepted that fact. It still accepts that fact. And I don't think we should challenge this. I don't think it's for us to come around and say, you know, reintegrate them into Russia. I don't think that's something I'm prepared to do. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't seek friendship. And that's that's what they should do in their own interest, friendship and peace. And I think it is there for the taking. Hmm. Uh, Andres Berzins, how much of Chile and Argentine politics are based off old NAZI beliefs and the neo-Chinese politics? I am not very familiar with the situation in Latin America today. But I would have thought that by now, um, probably that has melted away in Chile and Argentina. It was very, very strong, obviously, at one time. I mean, Juan Perón, who was a complicated man, and one doesn't, one shouldn't, you know, simplify him. But he did have great admiration for Mussolini, which he never shifted on, and he did provide uh, sanctuary, quite intentionally provided sanctuary to various uh, Nazis who escaped from Europe. And um, the same was true about with other Latin American states. And of course, at that time in Latin America, in the 50s and in the 60s, there were an awful lot of people in Latin America who still continued to support uh, um, you know, neo-fascist and fascist ideologies of that. There is, that's a historical fact. But I think that today, that has declined greatly. I don't get the sense that this is an important current any longer, either in Argentina or in Chile. Now, I may be wrong, but that is my sort of general sense of this. So I, I don't think that this is, uh, this, this, this is true any longer. About China, I really don't see this, actually. I think the Chinese state, its political movement is nationalist, undoubtedly. It's not, however in any way at all like the kind of system that you saw in Germany in the 30s and 40s. Clear NFO, your thoughts on Quigley's Anglo-American establishment, maybe a show on this topic. It's not it's an idea. Um, what, where, where to start with this? <laughs> um, what to say? I mean, the Anglo-American establishment, let's be clear about this, is one. And within it, the, the British exercise a disproportionate voice. And one of the reasons they do is because they've allied with the neocons in Washington. Yes, they have. Dennis, welcome to the Dragon community. Rafiq Adams, any thoughts on recent UK government push to deplatform Russell on Rumble? Free speech I, suppression of popular voice of dissent. Chilling. Well, I, I, I made my absolute views about this clear. I think that is outrageous and shocking and completely wrong. And to me, it exposes, and I think we've discussed this, Alex and I have discussed this, it exposes the real agenda behind these, these things. I mean, this was an astonishing uh, affair. Now, 
it did not it did not start with a police investigation. I mean, I'd assumed that it had when I first heard about it, but it seems not. This was an investigation done by certain newspapers. They went out, find, looked up various women who had been involved with Brand, Russell Brand, in the past. This is how I understand that happened. They got them to say various things. They then um, spread narratives in the newspapers, making these incredible, in their newspapers, making these extraordinary allegations. They gave selective quotes especially one particular email, which on its face could look damning, but perhaps if it's understood in its context, might not. And of course, we don't know what weight to place on this email exchange. I mean, this is... Anyway, they did all of this. They then passed it all on to the police and the police, apparently without much enthusiasm, are now taking up the case because basically they don't, they have to. And then once the police investigation gets underway, the political class then starts to put pressure on Rumble and the other social media companies to, to de-platform de de brand. And of course, YouTube has uh, demonetized it. Well, I think this is completely wrong. It makes it much clearer to me than it had been the case at the outset. This is a political hit job. And by the way, it almost certainly violates British privacy law, about which I'm fairly familiar, you should not, for example, privacy law, there's a string of cases which says that when somebody is the target of an investigation, the fact should not be publicised. If, if they, let me just say this, if they carried out an investigation, got all this information from women, decided that these are the newspapers, decided that there was a case to answer. What they should have done is provided that information to the police, let the police conduct the investigation, and said nothing. That is the correct way. That is what due process would require. Instead, we see pressure on social media to silence yeah. brand, which is what this is ultimately all about. But the point was to put out that article. It wasn't to go to the police. Exactly. 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 Gabby Iglesias, thank you for that super sticker. Jamila says, Alexander, lawyer, tell us what we can do in the West. What can we can we can do? We can we can follow the Duran or participate mm -hmm. in live streams. And uh, there's lots there's lots we can do. Participate still in the political system to the extent that we can. Make our voices heard speak out i mean you know if we all if we all descend into silence then of course uh, the other you know the other side wins but uh, I mean, that's an enormous question and i mean it's uh, it's it's what what we're doing what you're doing by participating in a live stream on our show pasta ym gobels would be proud of the west's propaganda Yes, he would. He would. He would feel mm -hmm. that his pupils have now uh, surpassed their teacher. Yeah. Tom, somebody, Baerbach seems immune to the Zelensky curse. For the moment. For the moment. The Zelensky curse is undefeated. Undefeated. Danjeva exactly. <laughs> says Libya seems to be backing Russia. So is Algeria and Egypt. So that's yeah. most of North Africa. Yeah, yes, it is. And it's also the part of. 
North Africa, which has oil and gas and all of those things. Yeah. Rafiq Adams, love you guys. Any updates to reach out to E. Michael Jones to discuss the hidden grammar of the Ukraine war? A panel with you two would be refreshing, to be honest. If not on YT, maybe on Rumble. I can understand your concern given what happened to Brand. Well, yeah, possibly. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's something we could do on Rumble or Locals. Rumble. Absolutely. It's, just give us a little more time. We'll, we'll, we'll be contacting a lot of people. It's like we've said on many, on many uh, streams, it's organizing live streams is yeah. quite, quite an undertaking. Yes. <laughs> it, it, take, it takes a lot. But we'll, we'll yeah. get to it. We'll get to it, Rafiq. Uh, Power Muffin, what is your take on Ukraine's surrendering in their thousands? Is the Ukraine army on the verge of collapse? Right. Now, this is a very interesting story because, um, you know, we'd been hearing a couple of weeks ago that uh, desertions and defections were growing. And at the time, I said that it was a, it was a, it was suggestive, uh, but it was still a trickle rather than a flood. It's now a lot more than a trickle, but I don't think yet it's quite a flood so it's probably a sign of the direction of travel that the ukrainian army is indeed becoming demoralized that they're being very very unhappy and distressed about this offensive i don't think it's yet a sign that the army is about to collapse i think we're quite a long distance from that point thank you fractured for that super sticker and from Rafiq, can you guys maybe do a panel discussion with Colonel McGregor in the near future? That would be great. Keep up the good work. We would love to if you would, if if he if he's if he's available would agree. Yeah. Uh, Fanny Bunny says, "How's Nazis who moved to Scotland are doing?" Your thoughts? Oh well, I I I know I know a lot less about this. I I, I remember one particular ex-Nazi who went. To SS ex-Nazi who went to Scotland and settled there but he went there because he um, after the war um, went through a tremendous crisis of faith basically and uh, was felt deeply shocked and horrified by things he'd been involved in himself and he went to Scotland and he never hid what he was and spoke out against it so I mean that's the only Scottish Nazi I know of El Boon, do you think that Trudidiot exposes the globalists? <laughs> well, you, you're quite yeah. right about that. He's not yeah. hes not the sharpest knife in the draw, not by any means. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is the face. He has become he the face of, of globalism in a way. I know. Yeah. I know. Which, I mean, which makes it very difficult because I said, whenever I see him, I want to throw a brick at the uh, computer screen. I mean, it's I get so... Yeah. He... He gets under my skin. I've said this many times. Um, I find him a very difficult person to watch, partly because of the very strong feelings I have about Canada, by the way. Life of Brian, is there a connection between the Freeland paperclip Yahtzees and the sort of rabble the FBI infiltrates? Um, well, perhaps. Um, I, I, I would have... I would have thought there was also a great deal of difference as well, actually. I mean, some of these people are real, you know, on the people that, you know, we're talking about, the, the ones in Canada, the the people who um, included Christopher Freeland's grandfather, this person who's just been to the Canadian Parliament. 
I mean, they they are uh, the real thing, if I can say so. I mean, uh, um, he absolutely is. Um, the the people that the FBI infiltrates, well, we should be very very careful before necessarily placing labels on them. Uh, Rafiq says, if Zelensky is ousted in the near future, any speculation on who might replace him? That is the big unanswered question. And I think at the moment, it's the great problem the US has. There isn't anybody obvious to replace him. The person who wants to replace him is Poroshenko. But I think that the Americans might not want him. Yeah. Elena Diaz, why can't Russia balkanize Ukraine like the USA did with former Yugoslavia? Well, that may be what they will do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, this is always a thing to stress. I don't know what the Kremlin is planning. I, I mean, they're keeping, I'm sure they, they are doing forward planning, but I, I'm not able to say what that is. My guess is that for the Russians, the optimal outcome would be one where um, the Russian-speaking areas, including Odessa, by the way, all the way up to Transnistria, are fully absorbed back into Russia. Um, Western Ukraine is allowed to break away and form its own uh, its own microstate. I don't think the Russians have any interest in it or want to go there. And the rest of Ukraine around Kiev continues to be independent, but deeply interconnected to Russia. I think that's probably the solution that they would most like. But, you know, they don't share their opinions with me. Ram V, hello. Is there any data available about NAZI's led to the US, Canada and roots in modern politics and business? Are NAZI's whitewashed in West Politico? Thanks. Well, if you're talking about people who were sympathetic with you know, the ideology of the 30s and 40s in Germany who are admirers of the regime there, a lot of people in the United States, and some of them were very, you know, very important and successful people. I mean, um, a, a prominent member of the Dupont family, for example, I can't remember his first name, but he, he famously was. And, you know, that was at that time, I think the biggest chemicals group in the United States. So there were people like that in the United States. I don't think, however, they were the dominant element in American society or even the American leading political class at that time. Quite the opposite. I think that they were that they existed, they were there, but I think that they were a marginal group. At that time, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, the American political class was deeply patriotic, very loyal to the United States, very intent on pursuing the interests of the United States and very supportive of the Constitution and of the American system of government and very patriotic about it. They might at the same time be ruthless and even corrupt amongst themselves, but that didn't change their fundamental loyalties. And I think that's the way to look at this time in America today. Today, the political class is more corrupt but it is not even more, much more corrupt than it was. They're on a different scale. But I don't think it is as loyal, well, it is not loyal to America, to the ideal of America, that it, as it was back at that time.
Rafik Adams, is a rump Ukraine even worth keeping for Russia or the U.S.? Russia cannot really accept any NATO-oriented state, rump or otherwise, correct? Well, that's absolutely correct. That is entirely true. So it might be that the Russians eventually decide that a rump Ukraine is not really an option. I think they, one of the reasons they would probably want to keep a rump Ukraine is twofold. Firstly, um, they don't want to be seen wiping out countries. It's not a particularly good look. And it's certainly not a good look internationally. So I think that given that Ukraine has achieved independence and Russia has recognized its independence, they would rather that Ukraine preserved its independence in some form, even if on in terms of smaller borders. Also, I suspect that they probably also say to themselves, well, you know, these people might not fully welcome being reabsorbed into Russia. They have developed their own identity, which they're entitled to. They might not be happy being reabsorbed into Russia in you know, that kind of a way. But, you know, fate can sometimes impose its own choices. It may be that the Russians have these plans and ideas and the realities turn out otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh D DJ Boss says, free Julian Assange. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Rafik Adams says, for Mercurius's legal analysis, any thoughts on the recent summary judgment, Trump and the implications? Will it be appealed? Can he still win the election? We, we've done a program about, about this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the most bizarre cases. I, you know, every single case that is brought against Trump seems to me weird. And then I said, this, you can't get weirder than this and it always does and it just has i mean this is the most bizarre case up to now of all at least as far as i can see uh Kabeto crossfire says natalia boklonskaya for president of a free ukraine well yeah possibly she was the procurator general in crimea i believe who went oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah to yeah. the russians and uh, became quite a um, uh, uh, she became. She became. She. She. The, I believe that anime in Japan sort of incorporated yeah. her because of her eyes and her, her, her you know, appearance. But uh, and you know, she's a she's a certainly a feisty personality. But whether she would want to go back to Ukraine in any form now, I don't know. FN says you two are have have any plan to invite Colonel McGregor? Well. We've reached out to him, um, but he wasn't able to do it at the time. I mean, it might we might try again. Possible. Um, Sparky says, once the Ukraine war is over, will leftover Ukraine and AZI refugees tend to settle in Canada? Yeah, that's a very good question. It'd be very interesting to see where they go. I suspect most of them will go to Europe. Commando Crossfire says, Russia and Ukraine go back to the 7th century, not just the 17th. Kiev was the original capital of Russia. Occupation aside, they are one blood eternal. This is, of course, um, I, mean, I, I, I agree with that completely, wholeheartedly. But of course, this is the history that some people want to deny. Mm. Elza says, what I figured out from Alexander's live on Wednesday... And Alexander does a Locals exclusive every Wednesday, the Duran.locals.com. What I figured out from Alexander's live on Wednesday is that Russell 
should be aware of the shortest way to the next Russian embassy, just in case. Oh, well. Yeah, why, why not? Why yeah, yeah. Um, Nick says, is Poland arguing with Ukrainian with Ukrainian in the aim to prepare ground for a possible attack on Ukraine. This way, they would not be supporting Ukraine in the fight against Russia while taking over the West Ukraine. I think that this is this is probably not the Polish plan, because of course, if they did a thing like that, then I mean, Poland's relations with countries like Germany and the United States and Britain would collapse. And I don't think that this current Polish government wants to see that happen. So I don't think they're planning a war with Ukraine. I think what's happened is the Polish government at the outset said, scented a big opportunity. They thought that there'd be this war, that the Putin government would collapse, that they would be in an enormously strong position to establish some kind of hegemony over Ukraine. And ultimately, maybe as things began to get more sour, some of them, started to think about reabsorbing Western Ukraine. I think that the more they've dipped into this thing, the more they've become um, more doubtful. And of course, Polish opinion is now clearly strongly turning against it. Sparky says, all boomers and Gen Xers know that Russia was on the side of the Allies in the World War II for no other reason than seeing countries Countless, sorry, sitting and seeing countless World War II movies and TV shows when they grew up. Yeah. Yeah, they knew. Of course they, they do. Spark. I, I, I think this is, I, I think people, you know, people who say these people are so brain dead that they didn't understand what was going on. I think they understood exactly who this man <laughs> was. I mean, remember, they're Canadian MPs. They are part of the political system. They have to go out in elections. They understand voting groups. They understand who, the, they know who these people are. Can I float something by, yeah. by you, Alexander? Yeah. The, a couple of days I did a video and I talked about how um, it didn't seem like it was a coincidence that you had Boris Johnson one day yeah. coming out. He gave an interview to some uh, TV uh, channel in uh, in Britain and he said uh, something along the lines like uh, the UK won World War II along with Ukraine, something like that. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that quote. Yeah, absolutely. Of course I remember it. The next day you had Ursula giving the speech at the Atlantic Atlantic Council Awards or something mm. like that. And she she made the statement about, she hinted at the fact that, you know, and, um, Hiroshima and Russia, they were connected some way. Mm -hmm. She didn't say it, but she, her words would lead someone to believe that the U.S. had nothing to do with Hiroshima and Russia is the nuclear threat and there's a connection between Russia and Hiroshima. She said that. And then a couple of days later, you get this uh, incident in yeah. the parliament in Canada. I think they knew. I think they may have taken it too far. Yes. And and they really messed up in the execution of it. Yes. I don't think any of this stuff is coincidence. I think there no. is a type of of rewriting an effort. Yes. To rewrite history and and well, to yeah. sanitize certain certain people or groups and ideologies. I think that's exactly what's going on. I think this is what exactly this was all about. Of course, it, it blew up because people have not forgotten, but they want us to forget. Yeah. Victor Papadopoulos says, following up on my last Super Chat, how would the U.S. have fared in World War II if Roosevelt were imprisoning his main Republican challenger and trying to de disenfranchise every Republican in the country before December 1941? 
Well, I mean, it, it, it is an unthinkable idea and it wouldn't have fared because, of course, had that happened at that time in the United States, the resistance would have been huge. I mean, at that in those days, Americans cared about the Constitution. The reason they fought as they did in the Second World War in Europe. Remember, the United States was attacked by Japan. It wasn't attacked by Germany. Germany declared war on the United States. But um, it, it would have been, it was a tough call in some ways for the United States initially to focus on fighting Germany instead of Japan. They did that because, of course, they were aware of the nature of the regime in Germany at that time. And they felt that defending the American way of life and the American system meant confronting what was ultimately the more dangerous enemy, Germany having declared war first. So it would have been completely impossible, inconceivable, that in that kind of climate, Roosevelt would have started to behave like the adversaries had done, because that would have completely contradicted what Americans at that time were fighting for. And Jungle Jane says Canadian MPs, like most of the West, were educated to be ignorant of the USSR's role as a World War II ally. However, this is no excuse for their ignorance. Well, it's no excuse at all. But you see, I, I'm I'm skeptical that they're quite as ignorant as that. Actually, these are these are you know they may not be the most educated or the most sophisticated people, but they're not going to be totally ignorant about the Second World War given that Canada was heavily involved in the Second World War itself. TZM says the incident in Canada Parliament showed how little Western politicians' leaders care to learn about other countries, yet laughable to see how they think they are entitled to dictate their ways on us. That's okay. absolutely true. That is completely right. Sparky says, make Ukraine Russia again. Don't even leave a patch called Ukraine lest it becomes a BlackRock property and remain a NATO carpetbagger playground and money laundry. You may you may get your wish. I mean, it's increasingly likely that you would. I mean, come back to what Volodin said, you know, uh, either it capitulates or ceases to exist as a state. Moondragon says, I think Justin is pro-Putin. He, he just showed that Putin's talking points for the SMO was right all along. Now Which the is SMO recruiting will swell. Which is exactly why the the BBC is now putting out articles like the ones that it is, because this has been a massive embarrassment. It has been a PR disaster. And as you absolutely rightly say, it has supported Putin's positions. David Baderosa says, huge thanks for the work you are doing on a daily basis. Any thoughts on the escalation in Kosovo these last days? Yeah, I mean, this is always there. It's always rumbling away. Uh, um, the, Yugos the Serbian government has shown a certain degree of skill, but come in for an awful lot of criticism by avoiding getting drawn into these confrontations. I think that some, at some point, some moment, this is going to explode. I can't see how it cannot, actually. And it is not a coincidence that all of this is happening at precisely the moment when um, Ukraine's offensive even the West is recognizing its failure. Liliana Corridor says, don't know locals, recently subscribed with coins. Thanks for the great work. Thank you, Liliana. Welcome to locals. 
at at GAG says, are you looking forward to new spirit cooking recipes coming out of Marina Abramovich's kitchen in Zelensky's Ukraine as much as I am? <laughs> Absolutely. That's all you need to know about the the Zelensky regime. Absolutely. You have guy, you have people like Marina Abramovich. I mean, as an ambassador for children, look after children's schools. It's, it's crazy. Sparky says, build a better world with bricks. Mm -hmm. Sparky also says, Putin is an anti-globalist hero. Yes. Very true. Somewhat to his surprise, I think, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mille says, a modern EU proponent is of the mindset that nation states exist on EU's territory instead of the other way around. Yes. 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 Look Completely at what they correct. did with the airspace. Exactly. The EU closed yes. the airspace yes. of the EU, not the other yes. way around. Exactly. Bobby LaForce, thank you for that super chat. Neo McCarthist says, I sent Alexander an email, nothing concerns about, noting concerns about Finland joining NATO without having a troop limit treaty with Russia. I doubt this can be tolerated. So can you interview an expert on this? Thanks. That is a very good point. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I have missed this email. I'm getting so many emails now, but I've missed this one and my apologies. But that is a very interesting point. And um, it, it, we need to find an expert to go to. Absolutely. Yes. Can I just say that for the Russians, Finland joining NATO is a bigger thing than Sweden is. Not, be, not just because Finland, of course, has the border, which it does, but because many, many Russians have come to the belief that Finland was a friendly country, which for a very long time after the Second World War, it had been. And of course, Finland fought with the Germans during the Second World War. It was defeated. It came away with what was overall a pretty good peace, but the basis of that peace was a friendly relationship with Russia secured by neutrality. And Finland has gone back on all of that and the Russians feel bad about it. And that might be a problem for Finland soon. Uh, uh, Lavrov made some comments about this. He said, you know, he, he, he recently commented about how Finland has in effect betrayed itself. Sparky says Russia benefits from the West consistently underestimating them. Very true. Well, it sort of benefits. The other problem, though, is that, of course, the West, because it underestimates it, antagonizes it. Ex exactly. It also, it also challenges the Russian challenges. The yeah. Good point. Yeah. Raphael says, guys, they did a survey among population in Europe. More people want Russia to win. They are praying for Russia to win. Do you guys agree? Not why. There was an Express UK article on, on this. Very That's right. I think this is primarily yeah. focused actually on Eastern Europe. <laughs> and already that is bad enough. And it's obviously ringing alarm bells. I understand that there's now a big shift in Italy. And of course, there has already been in Greece. So we'll see how it turns out. Mm -hmm. Sparky says, President Truman expressed surprise when those Asiatics produced an atomic bomb. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And if you read his, uh, if you listen to his his uh, comments, I mean, the, the, he made a radio address. You can still find it, I think. Um, it's, it, he, he, you, you can sense the anger and astonishment that they could have done it so fast. And of course, ever after, it was claimed that they did it by stealing the technology from the US, mm -hmm. which is partly true. I mean, they, you know, there were spies. 
who did in Soviet spies, who did infiltrate the Manhattan program. But always it's important to stress whatever data you get that way, you can only use if you have your own scientists and industrial infrastructure that can use it, which the Soviets, despite being a very poor and battered country at that time, but they did have it. They had brilliant scientists and they had the resources to put all that information to use. Uh, Tamsanka, thank you for that super chat. Elza says, Alex, Alensky rejects comparisons with Hollywood. He says I that know. all the time, which means that the opposite yeah. is true. I know, exactly. He yeah. thinks it. Yep. He even, uh, he, even reject, he even said that people were saying that, you know, that people's ideas about the offensive uh, um, uh, were based on Hollywood, which I remember that was, Alex should have copyrighted that because <laughs> it's been now taken up by lots and lots of people. Yeah. S. Robertson says, what is your opinion on the online safety bill in the UK? The ability to ask for unencrypted data seems sketchy. Yes, it's very sketchy. Um, can I can I just say, I mean, you know, there's lots of things. You get all kinds of rights, for example, to get information. And it, they don't always they don't always amount to things. I mean, people, for example, who have been investigated by the police, the police are supposed to tell you at the end of the investigation whether or not the investigations come to any conclusions. But I know of many cases, or I know of several cases, where the police never tell you that the investigation on you has closed. And this can go on for years, you know, two, five, 10 years. And the reason is that if they tell you the investigation has closed, then you can start be making Freedom of Information Act requests, which might cause the police to, might oblige the police to provide you with information about who they've been in touch with that they don't want to do. So you're kept in permanent limbo. You don't know whether the investigation is continuing or not. From uh, JF. Wow, thank you for that super chat, JF. Gentlemen, thank you for your brilliant commentary and for enlightening your audience with transparent geopolitical analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much, JF. Life of Brian says, did you see the Canadian speaker's brow spring up when he read that Hunka bravely fought the Russians in World War II? Yes. Yes. <laughs> he was proud. Of course he was, yeah. Reading that statement, yeah. yeah. Uh, Johan says, uh, any comments about the beating by Kadyrov's son of the Quran burner Zuravel? I find it very disappointing, both of Putin putting him there and the lack of comments from Peskov. Have you seen okay, this, I, this story? I, I haven't followed this story at all. I mean, the major story for me about Kadyrov is that he's alive and well. He's alive, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that's the only thing I've really seen. I mean, you, you you may be bringing up something that is important, but I haven't followed it. I, uh, it it's passed on to me, I'm afraid. Something, we'll, we'll look it up. Yeah. We'll definitely look it up, yeah. Uh, Marcus says, if Russia had the same amount of contempt for Ukrainian lives the West has, the war would be long over. Absolutely. True. But bear in mind, I mean, Lavrov made this point again in this interview that he's given. It was Russia's sought to preserve Ukraine and that was what the Minsk agreement sought to do. Um, it wasn't looking to use Ukraine against the West or anything like that. The West wanted to bring Ukraine into NATO and use it, as the Russians say, as a battering ram against Russia. Yep. Uh, ben Redward says, 
Dedo is waiting in the reception hall for Trudeau and Zelensky. Social media posts by Teresa Hunka showing a picture of her Nazi war criminal grandfather at the Canadian Parliament. Yeah, there's yeah. the pictures of yeah. him in the waiting room. Yeah. Before the event, yeah. Absolutely, yes. Jamila says, thank you so much for your amazing work. Jamila. Uh, Nina says, if Alexander gets tired of bad news, he should start reading us The Fellowship of the Ring by chapter. Alexander's voice would be perfect. <laughs> RL says, if Russia chooses to take Nikolaev in Odessa in the future, will this be as tough and offensive as in the densely populated Donbass, or will Ukraine collapse beforehand? They're not going to destroy Odessa. No, they're going to work very hard to preserve Odessa. Uh, Lila says, do you think Eastern Europe countries will be getting more engaged in Ukraine in the future? Do you mean, will they send their troops there? The answer, I think, is increasingly less likely. I think the, the mood is shifting away from it. Boa Omega says, cheers, Oracle of London and Apostle of Athens. <laughs> For that, Paul Walker says, NASA and Sikorsky had NAZI influence. Well, NASA, of course, I mean, they employ people like Von Braun and people of that kind. Sikorsky, the helicopter company, I don't know. Uh, Pinyamamba, thank you for that super sticker. Greg D'Souza, welcome to the Durant community. Nigel Green says, who do you think will win in 24, both in the, US, in the UK and the USA? <sighs> the US election is very, very difficult. And I'll tell you why, because it's, there are so many things going on and so many things behind the scenes going on that I, I, it's very difficult to know how exactly it will play out. I mean, look at all these lawfare cases. Look at the impeachment proceedings. I mean, look at, look at, uh, uh, impossible to say. If things were normal, I would, I would, I'm not a betting man, but I would say more likely than not, it would be a Republican victory, and more likely than not, Trump would be the candidate, and more likely than not, Trump would win. But I can't say that because the situation there is so twisted and bizarre and strange. In Britain, it's still Starmer's election to lose. Greg D'Souza said, did you hear the story of the German tank with German soldiers in Ukraine? Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. Um, um, who they were and what they were doing is a very interesting question, but the Russian media is full of the story, by the way. Tom, somebody said, sad for many Ukrainians who don't share anti-Russian hate from neo-fascism, considering their long history going back to the beginning of Kievan Rus. Absolutely. And can I just say, I suspect that there's an awful lot of Ukrainians like that. I mean, perhaps even the majority. Hassan, thank you for that super chat. Rafik Adams says, follow-up, if you view current Ukraine as occupied and no longer dependent, then would it be best for Russia to occupy, give it nominal independence rather than let it come under NATO influence? Well, I, again, the, this is a calculation that the Russians might have to make in the future. What I described before was the optimal outcome that I thought some Russian officials might have so that they you know they don't involved in trying to control things in kiev for example which is a difficult place to control because there's all sorts of different currents and 
views there and whatever. But it may be that events dictate a different outcome and that outcome might be outright absorption. We'll see. Elza says, love the Friday lives. Please keep up the great tradition. Thank you for that. Liliana Corridor says, can you please do an interview with Stella Assange, ASAP? Julian may be extradited anytime. You know, that is, that is a real possibility, actually. Okay, let me see. <laughs> I, th I think you, you might be able to, might to be reach able out. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, Elena Diaz, the West loves to rewrite history. Let's re-examine. Why was Vichy France welcomed in the SC? The SC. Uh, SC. Security Council? Security Council? Oh, I see. Yeah, I presume so. Well, yeah. of course, it wasn't. I mean, uh, um, when the um, United Nations was set up, which is, I believe, well, the, the final agreement, the, the, the agreement to move forward with it, as I recall, was at the Yalta Conference. Well, by that time, of course, uh, France was no longer run by Vichy. It was run by... Uh, um, a coalition government of resistance parties led by General de Gaulle. This is the mm. relatively brief period after the Second World War when de Gaulle uh, was governing France in coalition with the Communist Party, by the way. Frank Mir says, Australia was annoyed with the USA over Assange extradition recently. PM was praising India. Haven't seen Australia supporting Ukraine either, shifting away. Interesting. I'd like to believe that. I hope it's true. <laughs> uh, Life of Brian says, how does Freeland Yatsiism express itself in terms of political agenda impact machinations? Well, I think we've seen we've seen very well, very clearly how it expresses itself. I mean, it's been uh, um, where it had once been the country that sought you know, to build bridges between nations. Today, it's perhaps the most confrontational uh, country towards China and Russia of all. Yeah. Rafiq Adams says, last one, can you, guys, can you guys reach out to RFK Jr. and Donald Trump to do a podcast with Blow Up the Internet? Cheers. <laughs> well, yeah, that that is a big call, actually. Trump, I don't think does. I haven't seen him do many podcasts. Yeah. RFK Jr. definitely does podcasts. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're trying, actually, on that one. And we know he, he follows us, it seems, yeah. like he listens to us. But, you know, we're trying to, to get that one together. It's a tough one, but we're trying it's to get that one. one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Asin says, Peter Zeichheim, can never pronounce his name, uh, and the prediction on the China's Chinese collapse. It's the guy that keeps on saying that China's going to collapse and Russia's yes. going to collapse. That's yes, I mean, there's, there's people who make these predictions about China. I mean, Gordon Chang is the other one. He's been predicting China's collapse. I, first time I read a piece by Gordon Chang, I think it was in 1999, you know, before the millennium began, that China was heading to collapse, towards collapse. He recently wrote a piece in the Daily Telegraph that uh, Xi Jinping was about to be ousted or was in danger of being ousted, and that was why he didn't go to the G20. I, I have to say, I don't take any of this stuff seriously the, the government is in pretty strong control and the economy has had its problems as many economies do they do not seem to me to be of a kind that suggests a collapse mm. 
from Huffman Aviation, Australia has given itself and its resources to America under the Defense Protection under the Defense Production Act. Yes. Yeah. And from one sec, Alexander from uh, Life of Brian. Did you see the Canadian speaker's brow spring up when he read that Hunka bravely fought the Russians in World War II? Yeah, I think I read that one. Yeah, I think you did. Did yeah. I read that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I did. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I as Alex said yeah. when he answered before, he was very pleased. Very, very proud. Yeah. Uh, Arthur, thank you for that super sticker. At large, thank you for that super chat. Alex Zella, thank you for that super sticker. Uh, Commando Crossfire on judgment of Stalin's extremism in defense of liberty is no vice. Moderation in pursuit of justice is no virtue. No excuse for wrongs. Lots of rights. So, so did you did you mention Stalin at the beginning of this? Yeah, on judgment of Stalin, extreme quote quote extremism, on judgment of Stalin quote extremism in defense of liberty is no vice. Moderation in pursuit of justice is no virtue. End quote. Yeah, no excuse for wrongs. Lots of rights. Yeah, is this something this, Stalin is from a book or? No, it's not, I'm sure it's not from Stalin. I'm sure I, I it's I seem to remember it's from. Actually, it's an American quote. I seem to remember, but I mean, I, I, anyway, I, I, I think that we have to be. <laughs> I, I don't think this applies to Stalin. I mean, was he really, um, you know, um, extreme in pursuit of virtue or whatever it was? <laughs> it doesn't seem to me that this is exactly what Stalin was about. Anyway, not at all actually. Raphael says, guys, Putin in a meeting informs the world that Russia has weapons now with dimensions that are new to mankind. We all stay quiet. Are we ostriches now? Yes. I mm. mean, when he made that speech back in 2018, the um, huge assumption, the, the, the universal assumption amongst most of the Western commentators was that he was talking nonsense and that he was making it all up. I remember it. Yeah. Bear out of the woods. Thank you for that super chat. Sam K says, can you guys do another video about what's going on in Syria soon? Love your analysis. Yes. Great video. Today. Yeah, a lot going on in Syria. There's an uprising there. There's curfews being announced. It's This is in the American-controlled um, part of Syria, I should stress. And, of course, uh, Assad has just been to China. All kinds of things are going on in Syria. Claire says, did you see Garland Nixon's video yesterday about the NAZIs that the government brought to the U.S. and Canada after World War II and how they play a role in our current government? No, I didn't see it. And, I, you know, I haven't been able to watch Garland's uh, latest video. I haven't had the time to, but I will certainly do so. From P. Ha says, Holodomor was a drought. Many families in the ex-Russian Empire were modern before modernization, so... No Soviet families from 1933, capitalist perestroika, save World War II. Right. Well, I'm going to say this. The story of the Holodomor is unbelievably contentious. I will simply set out what I, what, what, what was the accepted history at a time that I was at the School of Slavonic and East European Studies, which was in 1979 to 82, part of my degree. Uh, University of London. In those days, we didn't talk about Holodomor. We talked about the collectivization famine that Stalin carried out, a massive, uh, ruthless push to collectivize agriculture right across the Soviet Union, and that this did lead to famine conditions 
coming directly after uh, um, what was already a, a difficult food situation because of the so-called price scissors crisis, which is a complicated story, which I'm not going to get into. But anyway, that there was a famine right across the Soviet Union. It affected various regions of the Soviet Union um, to a lesser or greater degree. One of the reasons that one of the regions that was particularly affected was the Black Earth region in Ukraine. Another was um, the Black uh, was the Volga, some places around the Volga, and also um, um, it was particularly bad in parts of Central Asia as well. But it was not seen in those days. And you know, I was there. I was studying at what was in those days Britain's premier institution to study the Soviet Union, it was not then seen as a specifically anti-Ukrainian thing. That was the history that I learned at the time. And I have to say that to the extent that I've been able to keep up with the academic scholarship, I don't really see that that history that I was taught then has been revised to any great extent, at least amongst academic scholarship up to this point. Sparky says, J. Edgar Hoover kept files of non-political celebrities just in case they became political later, but was limited by file cabinet space with modern tech, low enforcement, and intel are hell on wheels. Well, you're completely right about every point there. Mm -hmm. Just said that one says, don't forget that there are elections coming up in Poland yeah, and Slovakia this weekend. Slovakia, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Clayton says, if China banned exports to the West, what would that do to our economies? <laughs> we, we, we would be in a very, very bad crisis. I mean, inflation would go up to, you know, multiples. And uh, we'd have massive shortages in the shops. And um, Apple would be in severe trouble. And so, much, so would be much of the West manufacturing industry. I mean, it's an unthinkable scenario. Of course, the Chinese don't want to do that because it would also have big repercussions on their own economy. From La Repubblica European, is there anything you can tell about the new social contract party of the Netherlands and its philosophy? No, I can't really. Um, um, the trouble with the Netherlands is got a very, very, at one level, a very fluid political system, which is partly the product of its election system. But again, very much like in Britain, it seems to me, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So I, I wouldn't have big expectations of any great change in the Netherlands. Boa Omega says, don't believe everything you read online, Abraham Lincoln. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. And Valies, hello everyone. I've missed you. I'm back from the war hiatus. Valies, great to have you back. Great to have you we back. We hope you are doing well. Indeed. Great to have Valies back. Yes. Uh, Death Dealer 1341 says After the bromance ended between Poland and Ukraine, will Poland still go into the west of Ukraine? And I hope that Ukraine will never get attack bombs and Taurus missiles from any country, and, from my country and Germany. Well, I'm afraid they probably will get the attackums and the tourist missiles. But I'm going to make a suggest. I'm going to make a guess. I think that's going to be the last big military thing that they get. The F-16s, of course, are 
already committed, and so are the yeah, and so are the Abrams tanks. But I don't think there'll be any more big uh, weapon systems apart from those now sent to Ukraine. So that's the first thing to say. But um, about Poland going into Western Ukraine, as I said, I think it's now increasingly clear that most Poles oppose it. And I don't think for that reason it will happen. Yeah. Groucho Marx, thank you for that super sticker. Banzo Bean says, you are the indubitable MVPs. <laughs> thank you for that. Raphael says, yesterday Russia hit and destroyed a bridge using an airplane 500 kilometers away. Russia was not fighting Ukraine yesterday. They told NATO, we can get you. Actually, Alexander, I'm hearing that Russia has has improved their their air uh, their air attacks and they pretty much have air superiority now. I don't know. Is that true? It's absolutely true. I mean, it's been um, it's been a steadily uh, uh, um, changing situation since early summer. The Russian air force has been more and more active. They're dropping more and more bombs. They've got more and more precision guided bombs, and more and more standoff missiles, and. Uh, Russian tactical aviation has been increasingly effective. And notice that Ukraine isn't shooting down Russian planes. Yeah. Ted Sawyer says, have you discussed the cyclical nature of famines in Ukraine and Volga regions? Well, no, we haven't. Um, that's, of course, a story that goes back to the 18th, 19th century. But it, I mean, it, it, it is something that can be said. Can I just say the last famine in the Soviet Union was in the 1940s. It was after the Second World War. Often forgotten fact, but there was a, uh, a famine in the Soviet Union in the 1940s. And that was the last one. And from Sparky, speaking of US election, Vivek appeared as a questioner along with Buttigieg in a town hall meeting several elections ago. Yeah, He appears to be an establishment plant. I saw the clip on yeah. Savvy Sab's show. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. All right, Alexander, that is everything. Wow, two hours plus. Two hours thirteen minutes. Brilliant live stream, if I may say. Okay, we got a few more from Jeff. Jeff Rook says, "For years, I've believed and still do that the U.S. should reshore most of its manufacturing. Now, as Republicans push decoupling, I want to, I want to integrate further, if only because a successful decoupling is their green light." For a war. Well, yeah, I mean, bear in mind, reindustrialization is an is something that you can do, but you need to you need to do it very you know, you need to you need to work hard and to plan it carefully and well. The Inflation Reduction Act, what the Biden administration is doing, isn't like isn't that it's just throwing money at the problem, <laughs> which mm. is what the Biden administration always does. And it it, 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 that doesn't solve the problem. It makes it worse. Yeah. Agree with you on that one. Um, Ted Sawyer says, regarding Ukraine, a professor of Sorbonne, a lady, I believe, did research which revealed that the famine we know of fitted into a historic pattern in the area. Likely the results were exacerbated by the rigid Soviet uh, innovation in agricultural practice. This is, I, you know, I, I, I'm fully prepared to accept all of that. And it could very well be that, you know, uh, this, is a, this is not a particularly well-researched area, by the way. I think I should say that this is ex widely accepted 
amongst academic scholarship because until relatively recently, you know, archives were not easily accessible about all of this. And there was an awful lot of deception within the Soviet Union going on about this. I mean, the um, in many places, local party figures were not reporting to Moscow about what was really going on in their regions because they were scared to, because that's another feature of the Soviet system of that time. So, you know, um, it, 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 it's, it's something that needs to be talked about, researched, investigated, discussed. When the Soviet Union collapsed, that would have been the right time to have done this. But instead, the, the whole matter has been overtaken and distorted by the imposition upon it of a political agenda. And that has made it almost impossible to research it in an objective way. Tom, somebody says, Alex, I love the encounter with kids the other day. Your everyday people encounters are a good break from neo I agree completely, by the way. Yeah. Clouds. yeah, I completely agree. Very, very nice children. Yeah. Doing children thing, playing. Yeah. Playing and having fun under yeah. the weekend. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sticky Marks, do you think that the current buildup of military in the region and two U.S. bases are, are Syria a potential flashpoint in Syria, are a potential flashpoint? When President Trump ordered them shut, the Pentagon said no. Can they do that? Yes, of course. They're, 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 this is potentially, again, a very dangerous situation. And, you know, going back to a point that somebody made earlier, you know, about how... Um, uh, uh, you know, a cornered animal becomes particularly dangerous. If there's a crisis in Ukraine, you know, Syria is an obvious place to try and create a diversion and create trouble and put pressure on the Russians. So you know, don't don't overlook this. This this is a potentially very dangerous situation. Jetset. Dot one says, I saw the appalling praise of the senior citizen in the Canadian Parliament. Normally, I never forget a face, but in this case, I will make an exception. Yeah, good for you. Mm -hmm. Your commando crossfire says, Russia recently turned on a nuke plant in Bangladesh. What is Bangladesh's position via India, China, BRICS? Can it be a player in the region? It is very poor. It is very poor. It might be, though. Um, might be a good thing because, of course, one of the reasons Bangladesh became so poor is because of and this is something people there have told me. It got cut off from its from its you know the place the city that had been its major economic focus, which was of course Kolkata. I, I'm not pronouncing. I, I know that's not what people in India call it. And Kolkata became poor because it was cut off from its interland. So you know if they come into bricks and things are sorted out that way, might lift Bangladesh up, potentially. And RL says, if the attacks on Russia are frost flags to influence the Russian public opinion, then all those twittering and cheering EU leaders are useful idiots. Yeah. Well said. And we will end it on that note. No, no. Thank you to everyone that joined us on this Friday live stream. Thank you for all your questions and for taking the time to listen to us and uh, thank you to our moderators valies the great valies it's wonderful to have you with us reckless abandon thank you very much reckless abandon and alan watson in the house and who else 
think that was everyone moderating for today. Yes, I believe. So thank you to everyone that joined us on Rockfin, on Odyssey. Alexander, a lot of people joined us on Rumble as well. Oh, good. Big shout out to everybody that is following us on Rumble. And, uh, of course, the Duran.locals.com, where Alexander every Wednesday does an exclusive Absolutely. Uh, live stream and where we also try to post as much uh, content as we can to the Locals community. And the Locals community also posts all kinds yeah. of breaking stories and interesting yeah. news articles. So that's a Absolutely. great community to join. Yeah. Uh, your final thoughts, Alexander, and we'll sign off. Well, end of end part, come back to that. This is this is starting to have that feel about it. This is this is where we are. And I think this is basically the theme of our live stream today. And it's one that was picked up by a lot of people. So it's quite interesting. And it's interesting that Elon Musk is saying the same thing. Both what you're seeing in Washington now and what's going on all around, they they are connected in that in that way. That the political elite is becoming absorbed by its internecine fact struggles. And they're not really understanding what's going on around. Sticky marks. Thanks. Must chat. Carlos. Oh, of course we must do that. Absolutely. <laughs> the greatest singer. The greatest singer. Yeah. My aunt knew her. My aunt knew her well. <laughs> All right. Mm. Take care, everybody. Bye.